Welcome to Icons in the Making. I'm your host, Heather Stern, CMO at Lippincott, the creative consultancy behind some of the world's best brands. Join me as I sit down with the leaders of today's most influential brands. You'll hear stories of transformation and walk away with a new perspective on what it means to be an icon. This is Icons in the Making. Today, I'm speaking with Owen Michael Hammonds, a designer, mentor, educator, and design principal at IBM. He has conquered design from every angle, graphic design, service design, information, interactive, and environmental design. But what's most fascinating to me is that in his current role, he's a designer within the HR department, understanding the needs and pain points among employees, first-line workers, and upline managers. Through this work, He designs impactful employee experiences and helps build a culture of conscious inclusion where innovation can thrive and individuals can progress. So, Owen, thank you so much for being here with me today. It's so great to be here, Heather. Thank you so much for the invite. I have so many topics I'm excited to explore with you, but let's start at the beginning of your journey. Before you officially became a designer as a career choice, you served in the military. And I heard in an interview that you had done previously that you felt like you were designing even then for command briefings. And I was very fascinated by, A, you being in the military, and I want to know what that was like, and that B, even then you had this desire, this passion for design. So talk to me about that. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, like how creativity has stuck some way, somehow in my career. Before I even joined the military, I was that kid emulating my brother, who's a fantastic artist, and drawing comic book characters and different things like that. And When I was in high school, I kind of like taught myself how to use the original kind of like Mac classic and was using Mac draw and different programs like that. I always kind of like was learning those things on my own, no formal training at all to get into those things. And when I joined the military, I wasn't in the journalism or marketing. I was infantry and 54 Bravo and did a lot of chemical warfare and different things like that. So completely opposite. But for somehow, some way, someone always figured out that I knew how to put together meaningful content to showcase to other people. And that's how I got wrapped up into doing command briefings and doing those PowerPoint presentations or laying out enablement or learning materials that other soldiers would use because I just had this innate instinct of knowing how people digested content, what will engage them and how they were used at this. But eventually it caught on and people just started asking me to do those types of things. So in addition to my regular job in the military, I ended up doing a lot of these presentations and learning modules and materials as well too, for a lot of my friends that were doing those things as well. That's so fantastic. I'm in a role right now, I'm focused on Lippincott's own brand and marketing strategy and then business development. But I had a period of time where I was also overseeing HR. And we're a pretty small company, but no matter how big or small the company is, you still have to do the things you have to do to build a culture. And I will say that it was in that time I just gained such deep respect for how hard that role is. 
I was so fascinated by the fact that as a designer, you're really designing the employee experience. And it's so important and it's so hard. And what better place than IBM who has been lauded for decades of the work that they've done. So tell me about a project that you're working on right now as it relates to the employee experience that you're passionate about. Oh, there's so many to choose from. There's a lot of projects happening currently. I will say, particularly in the design space, when it comes to employee experience, we've really have been doubling down on how we hire designers. And particularly, I'm really fascinated with the talent acquisition and like helping them understand where they can be searching for in for hiring designers into IBM. Not all the top schools have a diverse pool of students. The recruiters have to or need to expand where they're looking at or even introducing themselves to, hey, I'm with IBM and you can have a job here as well. And so it's making those very intentional connections to those schools, whether it is a two-year school, a four-year university, or more importantly, a lot of designers, particularly designers of color and women, and particularly people who are maybe career pivoting, that pivot just really helps us to recruit a much more diverse pool of designers. Then, I think that's so important. And obviously, diversity and inclusion is such an important topic and often you might hear people say, we tried, we looked and we went to the schools that we go to and there just isn't as much of a talent pool. And I think therein lies part of the issue that if you continue to go to the same schools that might draw from the same geographic and economic backgrounds, you're going to get somewhat of a certain mold. And I think we need to break out of that. Exactly. And I was reading just a lot about what you guys were doing and this idea of conscious inclusion. To me, this feels like an example of that. What other things is IBM doing that I think helps set the bar maybe for others in terms of the idea of conscious inclusion? I think some of the key programs that IBM has really invested in really target the people that we're not including. For instance, return to work is a huge one that IBM has been doubling down on. And this program is really focused toward helping women that may have taken leave from work for maternity leave, or they may have had a family member that they have to take care of, societal like norms that put that pressure on women. And now if a woman has an opportunity to come back to work, how can we make that entry back into the workforce more frictionless? I'll say also programs that are acknowledging that we need to prepare for our future and the best way that IBM can prepare for our future is by reaching out earlier before college. And P-TECH is a great example of that where it was mainly focused toward computer science and development, but we've expanded that into the design practice and how can we reach out to high schoolers that show an aptitude to do these things better than probably most adults that probably have four-year degrees even, reach out to them and introduce IBM as a possible workplace for them. We're going to help you get the skill sets that you need. And you can take those skill sets. And if you want to come to IBM, 
awesome. That would be amazing. If you want to take those skill sets somewhere else, we're not holding it against you. But it's introducing IBM to a future workforce. There was a statistic I read. 87% of IBMers say that they can be their authentic selves at work. We talk a lot about bringing your whole self and seeing the whole person. That's a incredible statistic, 87%. What do you think is inherent in the culture that gets so many people across all disciplines and all levels and all geographies to say that? That's a great question. I'm a people manager on my team and I think about the things that I do that may spark that. And I think for a large part, it deals with the relationship that you have with the, your manager. The manager experience is a key part of any company's success. As managers, we are that pivot point between the stakeholders and what they're asking for and how I manage my stakeholders and how I manage my team determines how successful the business will be then. And so as a manager, I need to make sure that my team understands the strategy and how the strategy applies to the work that we're doing here then. And that requires a level of transparency, open conversation, dialogue. And I think the more that we actually communicate more openly and I would say judiciously transparent with our team members, the better that they feel that they can bring themselves in to the conversation and question the strategy or add on to that strategy as well too, because I've included them as a part of the conversation versus being top down and saying like, this is the way it's going to be. This is how we're going to do it. That does not allow anyone to bring their full selves into the conversation. And managing that way just really creates a level of barriers or roadblocks. And how can a person meaningfully be engaged in a work if they feel or know that there's a possible different way of approaching that work then? I think it's such a good point. And I think that for so many years, and there still is, there's such hierarchy and a desire to have things perfectly packaged and buttoned up before we let the masses know about it. And it just it doesn't work anymore. Silence is not because there aren't perspectives, but because maybe people don't feel safe to share those perspectives. So how do you foster that? I think one of the key things that we've been doing and this is not across the company, but I think in some of the most strategic and important pockets is that we've been inviting employees to be a part of the developing the experiences that they're going to have to like utilize and take part of then. This is something that came out of when we actually brought the design profession officially into IBM and adopted enterprise design thinking as a framework that we're going to use to transform the way that teams are going to work. And it's also part of the work that why I'm in HR. One of my responsibilities is for the experiences that IBMers are using in their day-to-day -day work is to make sure that we're putting those experiences in front of them before we do that big, massive delivery. And by doing that, to your point, we're starting to build that trust. And we're like, we heard you. And this is what we're doing to make those changes then. 
right? It's like the visible, you know, not just intentions, but actions that happen as a result of, I actually voiced my opinion and you listened and you did something about it. Exactly. A great example of that is our performance management system that's called Checkpoint. When we developed that back in 2017, it was one of the first projects that we, this is before I joined HR, but when the HR actually reached out to the design profession to help them change the way that we do performance management. And as a part of that work, we put those prototypes, we put those big ideas in front of employees and got their feedback by doing that. That helped employees feel a part of the experience. And that's something that actually we've been really encouraging and continuously doing is by engaging employees earlier and sooner to get their feedback on experiences before we do a a mass delivery or even just do like a beta testing with a larger segment of population then as well, too. It's really early on and then throughout the process, right? Because that's the only way you can really co-create it. Let's talk about gender equity. This was the topic that we talked about at South by Southwest. Had the opportunity to work with Doug Powell, who introduced me to you in the AIGA Women Lead Initiative. And you guys have been such a thought leader and have made a lot of progress. A lot of what we talked about at South by Southwest was there wasn't, and at least it relates to the design profession, a pipeline problem. There was equity when you looked at early stages of the career. But then as it went to getting to the principal level, there was this, I think Doug said, we were noticing something was happening. A woman designer enters the profession, there was equity, but then when they they and their peers are rising to leadership levels, we lose the balance. Some of that was even self-selecting out of the process. And the result was a very focused and designed coaching model that you guys put in place. So tell me a little bit more if you know about that program, what you guys did. When we looked at that data, it was like a flag went off. It was like, we got a problem. Luckily, we had the right leadership, Phil Gilbert, Doug Powell, and many other leaders that saw that there was a gap of how many women were continuing their career to the upper leadership levels then. And one of the informal programs that we really doubled down and put together was talking to managers that had high potential women candidates that whether we identify is like, I've worked with this person, this person is great. Why are you manager not putting them in a pipeline for the next stage of their career? So really not admonishing, but really like having that manager kind of like take a look back and evaluate some of the, the women candidates. Also, it was to really help the women that were taking themselves out of consideration for those upper levels How can we really get ahead of that and be that support, be that advocate, be that cheerleader for them to like help them and encourage them to like stay in there. You're doing it right. I know it's hard. I'm here to help you. And a lot of it was you just really matching them up to either existing at what we call design principles or director level people that be that support for them. So they have a direct contact with someone or organically ensuring that they are meeting up regularly with a coach that can help them to become that next level design principal like I am. You have to put together this very formal promotion packet 
and they can be daunting. So surrounding them with support models, with people formally and informally to help them make sure that it's like you're doing great. There's all these studies that show if a man looks at a job description and there's 10 qualifications and they each have half of those, the man will say, okay, I've got half of those. Like, I'm going to go for it. Whereas the woman was like, I don't have half of those and I'm not going to go for it. So when you were looking at and studying this data and these red flags were going off, is that a pattern that you were seeing that that kind of self-doubt was more evident in women? I think what we found was it was more evident in women, but it was also evident in a lot of potential people of color, black candidates as well, too. And even even for myself, like I can speak for myself, definitely I needed that extra support system to help me get through my design principle packet when I put it together then. I'm going through the next level, which is the distinguished designer promotion packet nomination. And those same doubts come back up again. But what I have now that I didn't have before when I was going through DP or in those early the design principle stages is that I have something to reflect on. And 99% of the time, it's just me holding myself back then. So it's like, get over yourself. <laughs> get over <laughs> just, yourself, Owen. Right. <laughs> just put something down and put it in front of your mentors or your coaches so that they can give you actual feedback then and let them be the questioners of like, if you're ready or not, then that's what they're there for. The work that you do is global. And I'm curious as you're working with other regions, these kinds of conversations that are happening around diversity, inclusion, equity, do you feel it's kind of a global thing in the sense that really it's on everybody's minds? Do you get different perspectives in different regions? It's definitely different conversations, but they all revolve around kind of like that anchor point of equity. Equity in the West it's going to be different than equity in South America. It's going to be different than in India or AP region as well, too. There are some things that are common. Women equity is a pretty common thread across all these different geos. And so that is something that we do talk about in the same goal setting across no matter what geo that we're in. And there are some definitely countries that do way better than other countries, but in the global sense, women equity is definitely always a central common thread that every business, IBM business, wherever they sit at, has some work to do and a challenge to face and conquer as well too then. When it comes to race or cultural equity, that's when the conversation really shifts to depending on where you're sitting at, depends on what geo you're in, depends on the cultural norms of that country as well, too. And so that's where the conversation, it doesn't really fracture, but I would say the priorities changes of who is that group that we really want to make sure that feels that they can come to IBM and be themselves and do their best here as well too then. A lot of what we're trying to tease out through these conversations is certainly about brands and different inflection points and transitions, but then also the people behind them. And so 
What would you say has been a particularly transformative moment in your career? Probably actually joining IBM. And just for context for the audience, I spent the first 15, 16 years in the traditional graphic design studios and agencies. And I love that. I, I miss it <laughs> sometimes as well, too. I mean, I, I miss getting my hands dirty. But I found that I have this hunger to grow. I have this hunger to learn. And I have this hunger to do not cool things, but to do meaningful things. I found that as I was staying in the agency and studio space was not healthy for me. But, you know, fates had it. One of my former coworkers actually came to me who had joined IBM and says like, hey, IBM is doing some really cool things over here. Are you considering moving or going somewhere? And my first response was like, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> that old school company? Exactly. That old school company, in-house design, like you're not putting a shiny picture on this. <laughs> and she finally convinced me to like, can you just come to the over to the campus? And we finally got to where the studio was and they opened the door and it's like, and I'm looking around and it's just this open concept, what I would expect in an agency or studios, kind of like design agency feel in the studio space. And I'm like, what do you do? <laughs> like, I'm like, I mean, what is going on here? And it's like, and then we talked about, they're trying to like instill experiences into everything that we do and our product design and like bring all the great things that Doug and Phil Gilbert, Adam Cutler, Charlie Hill, that they were just trying to transform the company through the profession of design. And joining IBM was that humongous transformational moment for me because I was able to stay in design, but also grow continuously every day and also do a lot of things that I enjoy doing. I still get to share my experiences. I get still get to share and do enablement sessions with designers and help non-designers understand what good design is. And this is how you can do it without having to be a professional designer. You have the power to do this then. And so joining IBM was the biggest transformational moment for me in my career because like it just tapped all the things that are like off my passion list. And so I don't follow my passion anymore. I actually bring it to work with me every day now. That's amazing. And I'm sure everybody would love to be able to say that. And if that's not the case, having the courage to make a change, right? I know you've had the opportunity, as you've mentioned, to mentor so many young aspiring designers, those that are at different parts of their career. Do you have a, a signature Owen piece of advice that you tend to give often? Yes. It's one that I have actually adopted and borrowed from one of my good friends, Seth Johnson, who I've known for years through AIGA. And he said it in one presentation and it stuck with me. And so I actually recited in my own context to a lot of other people. And it's all about grit, humility, and love. Having a career, you have to have a lot of grit. There's a lot of ups and downs in it, but you also have to learn how to like take those up and downs, how to like take those licks, learn from them, 
and actually keep going forward then. But also, who's going to help me build that tenacity, that grit along my career journey? Humility, being the egoless designer. We're great at what we do, but there's a way of being great at what you're doing and having humility as well, too. And that humility helps you as a professional be more supportive of that next generation as well, too, that's going to come up right behind you and actually be the next great designer as well, too. And I actually, with that humility, I have a, a true belief, and I tell my team this, I tell people you know, that I meet up with, is like, my job as a manager is to make you a better designer than me. And once I do that, then I've like succeeded in my job then. <laughs> And then the final one is love. Like you have to really love doing design. There's a lot of people out there that they hang their hat on learning the tools and learning all the things that does help a designer be good at what they do then. But those are just tools. You have to have a passion for this. And that passion is about understanding where am I weak at? Where can I like do better at? How can I get better at that? And how often you're practicing the craft of design, whether it's hand lettering, whether it's service design, whether it's being a user research designer, or any of those specialties require practice. And for you to get really great at that, you have to like really love what you're doing then and put that extra work in to actually be a great designer. Those are awesome and definitely ones that I think apply to non-designers as well. This is all about icons and icons in the making. And obviously IBM is an icon. I think you're an icon. Is there an icon in your life? I would say the person that I really rely on greatly and I love his candor and his way that he helps me through a lot of the problems that I may deal with at work or even in life in general is Doug Powell. Doug is just so reflective and always can like help me spin the perspective that I may be horse blinded in and help me see a broader perspective of something that may help me. He's always had that ability of when he was my manager at one point in time at IBM to even now, he's a mentor, he's a friend, he's an advocate, he's a sponsor of me to like really help me pull me back when I'm like, oh, probably reaching down too far (laughs) as well. You know, he does amazing work. He's led amazing teams as well too. And so those are probably like two of the really key people that I, I find that are inspiring and I can go to and look upon to for greatness. Just think of all the people that one day maybe will be on this podcast and I'll ask them that question and they will say you because you've helped them in their journeys and their trust in you. Thank you so much, Owen. It's just such a delight to talk to you, to listen to your perspectives. Thank you so much, Heather. It's great to catch up with you again as well. Thanks for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, share with your colleagues and friends and subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And if you're feeling really generous, leave us a five-star rating. Thanks, and I'll see you next time.